Hi there. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to read a, a scientific study to realize that Americans are exhausted, right? Just look around at work or in the neighborhood. Uh, people are yawning, walking out to the mailbox. Everybody's bringing their big gulp coffees into the office, right? You pass someone in the hallway nowadays and you say, hey, how's it going? And the, what's the customary response? People say, good, but I'm just so busy. Or they say, I, I, good, but I'm just so tired. There's never enough time. We're exhausted. The average American now sleeps less than the recommended seven hours a night. In fact, 40% of Americans sleep less than six hours a night, in part because we feel like we have so much to do, right? The, the demands are high, and you're trying to get a lot done. Many of you at work, you're trying to prove something to yourself, to your coworkers, your boss, uh, maybe even still mom and dad, right? Plus, many of you you come home at the end of a long day, right? And, and you've got like, I don't know, two, three, seven kids in your house, right? And they've, it feels like it some days, and they've trashed your house, right? While you were gone for the day. And, and, and you walk in and it's, it's a long day, right? Or maybe you were home with those same kids all day, right? And you're just spent from chasing them around. Or maybe you were trying to get some work done during nap time, which wasn't nap time, right, which is the most frustrating. It's just exhausting even talking about it. And I haven't even started talking about the activities yet. So for a lot of Americans nowadays, they have this crazy long day, they finish dinner, and then it's off to like phase two. And we begin carting around our kids to all these activities. You finish dinner, you bring your son to soccer, your spouse maybe brings your daughter to ballet, you just realize that your third kid has ninja class tonight, right? And you, you forgot all about it, and so you're texting another parent to see if they can come and pick up your kid and take him to ninja class, and then you're, you go to the soccer game, right? But you know how work works nowadays is they, your boss wants you to work 24-7, and so they told you you need to get that report in by 8 o'clock, so you're at the soccer game, feverishly typing up the rest of the report you got to get in, someone just scores a goal, and yay, and you look up, and it's the other team that just scored a goal, right, and we go back down, you finally get your kids home, and get them to bed maybe an hour later than you wanted to, and finally you can relax, and how do we relax in 2019? by binge-watching something, right? <laughs> on Netflix, on Hulu, on Amazon Prime, you name it, right? And we don't just watch nowadays, we multitask watch, right? So you're watching, oh, this is so good. Uh-huh, this is so good. You're checking social media at the same time. But it's so good that you can't stop, you think, because we don't just, most of us don't watch TV live anymore, so how about another episode? And you watch again, and now it's after midnight, you're supposed to get up at six in the morning, so finally you stumble into bed, but most Americans don't just stumble into bed, they bring their phones with them into bed, right? And now you're in bed, it's after midnight, but you just have to read seven more articles on how the ten principles of becoming the perfect parent, right? And you finally fall asleep, but you don't shut your phone off, you leave it right on the nightstand because you just never know, and three times during the night you're woken up by notifications, and 6 a.m. the alarm goes off, and repeat, we're exhausted, right? We're just, we're exhausted. That's us. Now, there is plenty of advice out there if you want to just start Googling, right? You, you can find 8,000 different answers on which sleep drug you should try, 
which essential oil you should use, right? which energy drink you should try. And as we get through this series, I just want to tell you kind of on the front end, we, we are going to cover some really basic and practical changes that you can indeed implement in your life. A ton in week two of this series, into week three some. However, I just want to tell you at the outset, we can't start there. Like if this morning, if I just give you some tips on how you can get to bed earlier and how you can implement some time management changes in your life, what, what would happen would be is we would just be treating the symptoms, not the actual root causes. We need to ask bigger questions if you're actually going to see systemic change in your life. Okay, so we can't just ask, how can I get more sleep? We've got to ask questions like, why am I working so much that I'm up so late in the first place? Like, what's underneath that? Why am I doing that? Like, we don't just ask, how can I fit more into my day? You ask bigger questions like, why is it that I'm trying to fit so much into my day in the first place? As I, look at, as I look at it, I believe there are two fundamental reasons to what's causing our exhaustion in America. Number one, I would say we're living for the wrong things. And number two, we're resting in the wrong things. We're living for the wrong things and we're resting in the wrong things. So I'm going to spend kind of the remainder of our time working out those two principles this morning. And as we do so, uh, we need to look at a passage in the Bible that we've actually looked at before. Now, generally, because the Bible's such a big book, we rarely here at Renovation are even going to look at the same passage twice. But there are just some passages in the Bible, this is true of every culture around the world, but there are some passages in the Bible that our current culture just needs to hear more than once. I think this is one that I could probably teach on four times a year as Americans. And we go, oh yeah, I need to hear this. <laughs> okay, So I want you to open, there's a Bible under every chair. I want you to look at it today. Uh, we're going to be on page 792. So go ahead and open that up. Uh, or uh, you can open up your smartphone to the Renovation Church app, tap weekly verses and look there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. I want you to look at these words. We're going to start at verse 28. Uh, these are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to you today. Okay? Here's what he says, chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay, so he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, some of you may be seen this before. Some of you have seen this for the first time. Uh, we don't have a lot of uh, uh, yokes, oxen in Blaine, Minnesota, so maybe you've never seen this before. Let me show you a picture of what a yoke looks like. A yoke is this. You know, it's a device typically between two oxen, sometimes other animals, that is going to join them together so they can work together as a team. And Jesus is saying, hey, I, I want to be on one side. I want you to be connected, yoked with me. You know, one of the things I want to point out that we haven't uh, talked about before is Jesus is saying in this passage that every one of us is yoked to something. And he's just saying, I want you to take my yoke. I want you to be yoked with me. So what's that saying is, I want you, he's saying, I want you to come under my wing, walk with me, come under my teachings, live from my principles. Live for my purposes. Now, 
to a few of you, that may sound like, wow, that's, a, like, that's, a, that's intense. That's a big ask. But I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, no, actually, all of us are under some sort of yoke, so you might as well come under the one that's easy and light and is going to give you rest, not exhaustion. In fact, this is the first of the two fundamental things that lead to our, our exhaustion. For a lot of us, we're just under the wrong yoke. Or maybe a simpler way to say that is this. Number one, the first thing that leads to our exhaustion is living for the wrong things. Because spending your time on the wrong thing is exhausting. Like, uh, like for example, uh, I went to school for a lot of years. Feels like too many, but I'm sure it was right. I can remember, uh, especially in graduate school, being so busy, so tired. You know, I was uh, newly married, I was working almost full time, and I was going to school. It was just a, a crazy season of life. And I can remember sometimes I'd stay up super late. I'm reading a book or two for this research paper that I'm writing. I'm finishing the paper. It's like four in the morning. I've got class at eight in the morning. And I remember getting to class. You slept like two hours. You can't even keep your eyes open. And the professor starts talking. This ever happened to you? The professor starts talking and it hits you like a ton of bricks that you just spent all night writing your paper on the wrong thing worst feeling in the world, right? It's a new level of exhausting when you're working for the wrong thing. And I think that's exactly where the exhaustion comes from for a lot of Americans. We put ourselves under these difficult yokes. But many of the yokes, I mean, these are the things that we're, the un, a lot of us can't recognize it, but they're the underlying things that we're truly living for. Money, success, you're living for the idea of trying to get everyone to like you. Those things, they, what they don't have, what they lack, is eternal purpose. They don't have purpose beyond this life. And spending your life living for things that won't matter in the next life is like running on a treadmill. Right? It's exhausting, and you don't get anywhere. Let me ask you a hard question. What would you say of your own life what would you say you're living for? Like, what is the purpose of your life? Like, I'm not sure that most of us can even answer that question. But you know who can answer that about you? Your schedule can answer that about you. Uh, if you've never done this, uh, I encourage you to, to do something this week. What, what I want you to consider doing is tracking your life for seven days. You can do this on your phone. I'm sure there's some app that can do it, right? You can just do it in Microsoft Excel. For seven days, just track what you do every hour. Watch Netflix for seven hours, right? Just fill, fill it in for every hour for seven days. And then don't even try and assess it yourself. You can probably do some, but if, if you're willing, hand it to someone you trust. Right? Maybe that's a parent, maybe it's a small group leader, an elder, and say, what, what would you say that I'm living for? I'm not sure most of us want to hear that answer, which is precisely why the vast majority of you are not going to do what I just asked you to do, because we don't want to hear it, but you would hear something if you did it. Too many of us, we're living not for the things of eternity, and we're living for the wrong things, and we've just never actually stopped, really kind of stepped back from our lives and tried to say, now at this moment in my life, you know, I'm, I'm 25, I'm 35, I'm 55, I just need to assess, like, what 
what am I actually living for? We don't ask the hard questions. Why is it that I'm working 60 hours a week? Like, why, why am I doing that? What's the underlying motivation? You know, Americans don't ask, why is it that I'm carting my five-year-old, my nine-year-old around to all of these activities? Like, what am I, what, what am I trying to show them that life's about? Like, what's the underlying reason for that? Why do I work so hard to get my house perfect? Why do I work so hard at the gym? What does that say about who or what I'm yoking myself with? We just don't want to stop and ask those questions. But we need to because those, many of those things are the things that are actually exhausting you. Like take money, for example. So many Americans live for money. The love of money, the pursuit of money, is exhausting. Why is it exhausting? Because you're never going to have enough. And it's internally exhausting. And for a lot of people, I think this is even subconscious because we know what good is a great pile of riches when you're dead? Because you know, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse, by the way, right? That's what leads to exhaustion. It's exhausting to yoke yourself with power or recognition or perfection. I'm going to be the perfect spouse. I'm going to be the perfect parent. Because you're never going to be those things. 200 years from now, no one is even going to know you existed. It's like, what's the point? See, but there's someone that you can yoke yourself with who will never tire you out. And his name is Jesus. I want to tell you something important. Don't ever yoke yourself with something that can change. Never find your identity in something that can change. Right? So you don't want to put your identity like, this is who I am, this is what makes me me. You don't want to put your identity in your bank account or your house. Like Those things can change, right? In your status, even in your kids. We, we yoke ourselves with Jesus because that's an identity that you can actually rest in. Because your identity, that's who you are in Christ, is not going to change, okay? Yeah, the Bible teaches who are you in Christ. It says if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a follower of him, that you are a child of God. You're, you're a new creation. You're forgiven. You're loved by God. You're in a relationship with the Most High King. You're on your way to spending eternity with him. And while you're here on earth, the Bible says God, as a believer, has a specific purpose for you. This is from the book of Ephesians. Paul says, for we are God's handiwork. This is you, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, for you, has prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so that's saying that if you are a follower of Christ, that God not only wants to walk next to you under the yoke, it's saying he has a purpose for your life. There are very specific things that the God of the universe wants to do through you in your life, in your family, at your work, things that are going to help renovate this world, things that are going to please him, that will bring glory to his name. Now, I, one of the things I think we need to point out is that when you live for Jesus, it's not like, oh, if I get to live for Jesus, I just get to like lay out on a beanbag the rest of my life and do nothing. No, it's still hard work. You're still running, but you're not on a treadmill. You're actually getting 
somewhere. You're doing what you were created to do. And see, that's not exhausting. That is exhilarating. I think of the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts in the Bible when the church first started. Okay, they had to have been physically exhausted. They were going from town to town and region to region telling people about Jesus. They suffered, they were persecuted. And yet we read that they just had an immense amount of peace and joy because they were yoked with Jesus, doing the right things. They were living for eternity. They were living for their specific purpose that he had for them, not just running on a treadmill. A couple weeks ago, I started reading this, uh, this book. It's called In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. I've heard of it a number of times. I finally decided to just get on Amazon and, and ordered it. Uh, it's actually the 11th best-selling Christian book of all time. But it was written in 1896. I thought it was going to be kind of hard to read because of that. It's not, it's not at all, actually. It sold 30 million copies when there were 70 million people in America. <laughs> Think about that. That's crazy. Uh, what's it about? It's, uh, it's actually a fictional book. Uh, Sheldon wrote this novel about these uh, 100 people in this fictional town in New England, 100 people, the same church, and they all decide through this kind of crazy set of circumstances, they get together and they decide that they're going to take a pledge for one year, and for that whole year, they're not going to do anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were in their situation, if he were in their shoes? Now, this was in the 1890s. About 100 years later, somebody rediscovered this book and, of course, made really awkward-looking what-would-Jesus-do bracelets for youth group kids around America, right? <laughs> but the original novel from 1896 is fascinating because you just read these hard questions of discipleship. Like, you've got this uh, railroad owner, railroad company owner, and he's got to reevaluate so much of his work when he starts asking, is this how Jesus would run my company? Uh, you've got this character who's this gifted, wealthy, young singer who's just spending her time, you know, kind of with the, the aristocracy, if you will, just partying and socializing. And when she starts thinking, what would Jesus do if he was in my shoes and had these gifts? It changes her life. The, the man who owns the store in town has to completely rethink how he handles and treats his employees when he starts thinking, what would Jesus do if he were their boss? How would he treat them? And they dive into the Bible and begin to try and figure it out. And I think this is an important question for us to ask in our home life, in our work life. How would Jesus, how would Jesus handle the project that you're at doing in work right now? How would he handle the crisis that you're in? How would he handle this person if he were with me right now? I think it's an even better question to ask of your schedule. And I think that's a question that very few Americans actually ask. If Jesus was you, and he lived in Anoka County, and he had your job and your kids, how would he allocate his time? That's a key question of Christian discipleship. If he was raising your kids, what would he have them focus on? I can't answer those questions for you. I mean, that's for the Holy Spirit. But I can almost guarantee you that if you start asking hard questions, it's going to change how you live your life. Uh, next week, when you come back, we're going to get into how do you begin to reprioritize that? How do you actually pull that off? But we have to start with the big questions. 
Let me give you another practical application that I, I want you to go home and do this week. I want to challenge you to go home and I want you to make a list of all of the things that are currently exhausting you in your life right now. So your list might look something like this. Right, you might have, uh, number one, you say for some of you, maybe it's just how much you work. You say, I'm working over 50 hours a week, and honestly, that's one of the things that's exhausting me. Well, if it is, then write it down. You know, always trying to make your home or your yard this time of year look perfect. That's just exhausting. For some of you, it's not. For some of you, it's life-giving. But for others of you, it, it's exhausting. I would love to rip all my plants out forever. H- having, having your kids in too many activities, maybe that's exhausting. Trying to keep yourself in shape, right? Just, just let it go, okay? <laughs> Always looking at or posting on social media, right? What, I don't know what this list is for you, but write it down and then ask these questions. Now, take a picture of this, even if you need to remember these questions. Then ask the questions of your list. Ask, why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing these things? Do I need to do this? Is it critical to the things of eternity? Is it what Jesus would do? Okay, I want... Everybody just like snap out of the American rat race just for a second. I want to just speak spiritual truth into your life. Remember this. Even though we are sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die in your place and rescue you from the dead. That is, if you're a believer in him, if you're one of his disciples, you follow him. That means God has rescued you from hell. And now, the Bible says he's given you his spirit, and in your very, very short time on earth, he has specific things that he's entrusted you to do. That is incredible. Please, do not squander your short life on the treadmill of living for your own pleasure. Get off the treadmill, start asking God for direction, and start living in exhilaration, not exhaustion. Okay, but I said there were two things that kind of lead us to this extreme exhaustion in America. And again, these are big picture things. We're going to get more detailed as we go on in this series. First is we're living for the wrong things. But secondly, and this compounds the issue, we're resting in the wrong things. And so because we're living for all these things of the world and we feel like we got to go, go, go because everybody else in the culture is just go, 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 we're exhausted. And then to make matters worse, when we're exhausted, we try and rest and we're resting in the wrong things. A a month or two ago, I mentioned this particular study uh, to a a number of you that were here. And I know a a ton of you are new, even within the last week or two. I just want to re-summarize it in 15 seconds here. Uh, There was an important study done by Nielsen uh, in the last year or so, and they mentioned that Americans are now spending 50 of their 58 hours of free time entertaining themselves. So take all your hours of free time, that's uh, your evenings, you know, some of your weekends, we're spending 50 of those 58 hours on our smartphones, tablets, watching Netflix, Hulu, TV, playing video games on an app or a console. 50 of 58 hours. So this is what we do. You're exhausted, you try and relax, and our idea of relaxing is watching Friends for the seventh time on Netflix. But here's the problem. That sort of entertainment relaxation isn't actually bringing you rest. 
And here is where we have this unique consensus between the spiritual world, uh, the scientific world, and, I wish I had three arms, the psychological world. Everybody's on the same page. And what they're saying is, okay, yes, technically, I guess you're not running around your house, you're just slobbing it up on your couch, right? So I guess you could maybe say that's relaxing, but what the scientific community is saying is physiologically is that when you have this sort of passive engagement with what you're watching, your body actually doesn't rest. Like nothing is, there's nothing restorative about it. It's the same thing with social media. There's a lot of studies published on this. What happens is you keep getting these dopamine hits of pleasure with every like, with every article that you click on, and it just leads your brain on this never-ending, this is not relaxing, this, it's this never-ending chase that doesn't satisfy you, and it certainly doesn't recharge you. It's just chasing something that you can't catch, and you're not even sure why you're chasing it. You're running on the treadmill to nowhere again. And thus your body is sort of is sitting down, but you're not actually resting. And I think most of us, the vast majority of us, fall for this. So, okay, let's say you had just an awful day, maybe an awful week at work, and there's so much stress, right? Or where the kids are just driving you insane. Maybe you've got adult children, and it's just as stressful what's happening in their life right now. And if you were actually honest about what you were feeling inside, what are you feeling? This is a good question. Okay, well, it's probably, maybe you're dealing with some fear, uh, it could be some anxiety. Maybe you have some anger or resentment about what's going on at work. You're worried, right, about the situation at work. You're worried about your kids. You have what the Bible would call burdens. And so we think this. This is the process that goes on subconsciously for most of us. We think, I'm exhausted right now. Oh, and what I need, and you, what you're answering is, how am I going to treat that exhaustion? So most of us say, I'm exhausted, and what I need is just to sit down and zone out. And that's about how 80 to 90% of Americans treat their exhaustion daily. And yes, if you sit down for two, three hours, and you just let yourself be entertained, your mind will forget about those problems while you entertain yourself. But what about when the show's over? Generations have always had issues with this. People used to drink themselves, and people still do, so they don't have to think about their problems. They would gamble. There's drug addiction. The vast majority of Americans necessarily don't necessarily do that, but they entertain themselves away from their problems. But when the show's over, the problems are still there. And I would say that too many of us, even as Christians, have gotten into this habit where every night we are bringing our burdens to our devices instead of Jesus. We bring our burdens to our devices instead of Jesus. We're, we're expecting that Netflix is going to give us rest, and it can't. What did Jesus say to you? Look at the word of God again. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, I'll give you temporary distraction. He doesn't promise you entertainment. He promises you something better. This is what you're actually looking for. He promises you rest. This is a promise from Jesus himself. 
He says he'll give you rest if you come to him. And so I think we need to learn this in a couple of ways. Uh, for one, sometimes you just have to learn to do this in the moment. I think this is hard. But let's say it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, you finally got your kids to bed or you finally finished up what you're working on and you feel that level of ex- exhaustion and you just want to do what you always do, which is just like zone out, hope they go away. It's beginning to learn the discipline of in the moment, of sometimes not going to your couch with your remote, but instead going to your room and to your knees. I'm not saying you need to go in your room and lay prostrate in front of the Lord for three hours. I'm talking even, what if you did, even for three minutes? What if you were honest about what was going on? You said, Jesus, I gotta bring this to you before I bring this to my devices. This is, this is what's going on. So we practice this sort of new discipline for most of us of bringing our burdens to Jesus first. And then, as you begin to practice that in the moment, you also want to build in this daily discipline of resting in Jesus first. That's part of what it means to be yoked with somebody, right? I I want to show you something else in verse 29 again. It says, take my yoke upon you, and then what does he say? And learn from me. Okay, so if you want to be a disciple of a teacher, a disciple means that you learn from the teacher. So that means that we, as his disciples, every day, we want to be in this process of learning from his scriptures. So if, if you haven't read the Bible much before, one of the things that we encourage you is take a Bible with you. They're under every chair. There's a little reading plan in there. Start you in the book of Matthew. Take it home. Start reading it every day. And this is where our action and our rest begin to come together. So this means that every day, for most people, it's in the morning. Some of you night owls, you do it late at night. But every day, you open up the Bible you start talking to God and you practice this new discipline, which is going to be a change for a lot of us, of bringing your burdens to Jesus. And so you read truth. He is good. He is in control. He is powerful. And you begin to just meditate and pray on it. And you say, God, I got a crazy day today. I just need to tell you about it. You say, Lord, I am completely exhausted. I'm worn out from what's happening at work. But, now you're speaking truth into it, but I know that you're with me. Okay, that's really different from saying, I'm really exhausted, so I'm just going to zone out for a while. You're speaking truth into it. So that's how you begin to get over it. Or you just say, Lord, I am so exhausted because I'm just max stressing out about what's happening in my son's life right now or in my daughter's life right now and you speak truth. But I know, I just read it, that you can do all things, that you are all powerful. And so I'm just going to give that burden to you. And you see this, like this, that sort of passing off as you're bringing it to him, that is how the rest comes. Because you're actually passing the burden off of you and onto someone that can take it. You're recognizing that you're yoked next to the Savior next to Jesus. And so stop. Stop bringing your burdens to your devices and just turn your head to the side. The Son of God is with you. He can handle your burdens. He's willing to take your burdens. Like if the Son of God told you he'd take your burdens, give him your burdens. Like can you see that it's that, it's only that that begins to just relieve us from this heaviness of our exhaustion. The God who took your sins on the cross 
surely can take your burdens. Run for his purposes, not your own. Give your burdens to him. And he can walk you slowly out of exhaustion and into his rest. Let me pray. Lord, I I pray for our church. I pray that we, as a people, would begin to just learn how we can give our burdens to you. God, we just want to tell you that we're sorry. We're sorry that we, we keep turning to TV, to our phones, to all these things, thinking that they can somehow give us rest, God. May you, may you just teach us to find it in you. God, we thank you that you can handle our burdens. You're not afraid of them. And we just thank you for the rest that you give us. And now, God, as we worship and as we sing from our hearts, we just want to rest in you. We just want to rest in your forgiveness and your love, and we just tell you that we find it in you, God. May we just do that. In your name we pray. Amen.